careful. We say we're committed, but we're not. And, uh, you know, just because we come to church doesn't mean you're committed. And, uh, and when I'm talking about placing yourself in the hands of God, that's what committed means, placing yourself in the hands of the Lord. You know, I was thinking about Malachi and the nursery and Oliver. And how old Oliver now? Less five months? Uh, I, knowing Jake and Elizabeth, I would not think that they would just trust anybody to hold Oliver. Would you trust Skylar to hold Oliver? No, okay, that was fast, all right? Absolutely, sorry, Skylar, you're not trusted to hold Oliver, right? I wouldn't trust him either. In fact, if I had a cat, I'm not sure I'd hold my cat either, right? I don't have a cat, but anyway. So I'm just trying to say is, is our lives, we should commit to the Lord. Lord, whatever you want with my life, that's what I want. You want me to go to the mission field, I'm willing to go. If you want me to, to do a particular ministry, I'm willing to do it. Wherever God's placed you, and that's what you should be willing to do. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. I want to use the story of Naboth. Church, I mean, I look out in the auditorium this morning, and um, some of you are shoulder to shoulder with people. I really hope that you like the person you're next to. And uh, I, I think that I might have to try to extend. I, we made, made this particular building so that we could go back first. And then if we had to use the, uh, as the Lord allowed, we'd use the upstairs too. And I don't want you, if you're visiting this morning, I just want you to know, if you're sitting by somebody that you don't know, uh, the people here are really nice, most of them. And um, hopefully you got a good one. All righty. And uh, so this morning, thank you so much for being here. All right. I got your Bible turned to, you're in 1 Kings chapter 21 this morning. And let's go ahead and just read a few verses first. The Bible says in verse number one, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab of Samaria. First Kings 21 verse two, And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would, not, would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad and that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Father in heaven, would you bless your word? Get again, teach us and help us this morning. I know that some, to some, this story is so familiar that we almost uh, would uh, say, Lord, what can you teach us more? But Father, may it not be more, but may we just again do what, what it teaches. Help us, Father, to be like Naboth. Help us, Father, to be committed. Help us not to let things or money or circumstances or people Father, cause us to go wayward. May we again stay, stay the course that you've laid for our life. Uh, God, again, would you please give us the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there is somebody not saved this morning, would you draw them to yourself? Help every Christian this morning to be praying and asking. Help that person that has a head knowledge of you, but not a heart knowledge, that they would come to the faith in Christ. Lord, we love you. Thank you again for being so good to our church in so many ways. And Father, would you please continue to put your hand upon Heritage Baptist Church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the last three weeks, I preached a message on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and talking about how they were committed to serving God. And Gideon's 300 men, how they were committed to Gideon as far as following the man of God. We talked about Stephen, a man full of faith, and how he was committed. And obviously, he was stoned because of it. Naboth, another picture of that. A picture who was committed. A person who decided, okay, this is the direction I'm going, and you're not going to sway me from that. Just for me, think, think about Naboth and Ahab. Ahab was the king. Ahab, you can almost picture coming into it with his kingly robes as he comes to that place where Naboth is and says, Naboth, listen, I like your vineyard. I'd like to have it. He says, I'd like to have a garden of herbs. It's close to where I am. He says, I'll give you whatever money you ask for it. 
He says, if you don't want money, I'll give you what other piece of land you want. And you can imagine Naboth looking at the king in his robes. And he didn't allow the king in his position to sway him. You know why? Because he was committed. He didn't allow money, mentioned three times in this one chapter, when he says, I offered him money. And, and he says, no, I don't want your money. And I want to tell you something, we as Christians got to realize that this wood, hay, and stubble, money, means nothing. But our, one day we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and our works are going to be burned up. And that gold, silver, and precious stones are those works that we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Naboth did not allow position or, or places and another place that seemingly better. And by the way, the king owned lots of different lands. He probably did have a better piece of land, but it wasn't better to Naboth. You know why? Because he was committed. He was committed in the sense that he trusted God. He was committed in the sense that what he was given, he was not going to let go of. I think we as Christians need to be committed. The story was told about a fellow that was going to go to the, to the, to the Olympics in 1950, uh, 1924. This is before they had planes in 1924. They were going to have to go over into Europe, and his wife was expecting. Um, and and as, as she was expecting, I was trying to think of his name uh, here, so you know who I'm talking about. Bill Havens was his name. And he was uh, going over, but his wife was expecting a baby, and so he did not want to go over to Europe, and he was going to try out for the gold medal. And it was the first year that they were going to have canoeing as one of those uh, events and so he had been on a team and his wife was expecting and it came time to whether he was going to stay back in the United States for his wife uh, having the child or whether or not he was going to go and he decided to stay with his wife sure enough it, his team went to the gold got the gold medal and he missed it the dream that he had for his life that he'd be able to do what he wanted and be able to have what he wanted but he missed that because he decided to be committed to his wife and stayed with her it was 28 years later that his son wins the gold medal. He went into canoeing also. He sent back a cable to his father, and this is what it read. Dad, I won. I'm bringing home the gold medal you lost while waiting for me to be born. Hey, can I just tell you that sometimes what you're committed for does not come now, it comes later. The sacrifices that you make now, you think to yourself, well, I'm making all these sacrifices and it doesn't seem like the Lord's doing anything. And sometimes we forget it might not be about us. It might be about our children or it might be about the future people who get saved. It's not always about us. Commitment in the Christian life does not always bring the fruit that you desire or the fruit that you desire now. But there's something that God blesses with a person who says, I'm committed to you. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm going to do what your will is for my life regardless of anything else. I want you to notice there in the passage here about Naboth, as far as his commitment, I want you to notice in verse number three what it says. It says, and Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me. Now, that was not just a cliche when he said the Lord forbid it me. That was not something we would use like when we say the word God bless you. When he says the Lord forbid it me, it's because the Lord forbid it. You say, how do you know that? Well, we know that because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that they were not supposed to sell their inheritance. In Numbers chapter 36 and verse number 7, it says this, So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Can I just tell you that the reason uh, Naboth didn't let go of his vineyard is not because he was so attached to that piece of land, it was he was so attached to God. God said in the law, do not allow your inheritance to pass on to others. You keep that inheritance. So when Ahab comes along and he says, hey, listen, I'd like to have your land. He just simply looked at Ahab and said, God forbid it. The word forbid means far. He said, be far from it. It's not going to happen. You know why it's not going to happen? Because he had a commitment to God. Hey, listen, we ought to be as a Christian, we ought to be committed because of committed to doing God's will for our life regardless. 
Why do we go to church? We don't go to church because it's the thing to do. We don't go to church because we're going to see other people there. We're going to go to church because God says go to church. The Christian life is not about who can coerce us or encourage us to keep going. The Christian life is about doing God's will for our life. I believe there's God's general will and God's perfect will. I believe there's God's general will and God's permissive will. God's general will is what's completely spelled out in Scripture. I don't have to wonder, what does God want me to do? He already told me what to do. I didn't have to pray this morning, do I go to church? God said in Hebrews 10, 25, I'm supposed to go to church. I, didn't have to, I don't have to pray, I'll give my tithe this evening, but I don't have to pray on whether or not I give my tithes and offerings because God said give your tithes and offerings. I don't have to pray, God, do you really want me to give this money? I don't have to pray about, am I supposed to witness to somebody that God brings an opportunity or from, as far as going? I don't have to pray about that. Should I tell somebody about Jesus Christ or not? God said, go, you know, the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There are things that are spelled out in Scripture I'm supposed to be doing. Amen. Ladies, you don't have to pray. Am I supposed to submit to my husband? He already said that. Fellas, you don't have to pray about, do I love my wife? He already said that. Amen. You have God's general will and God's specific will. The specific will sometimes not completely spelled out. Where I'm supposed to go to college, who I'm supposed to marry. I mean, if you find that verse in the Bible, I'd like to see it. I'm supposed to marry this particular person. It's not going to be there. But we understand that there is God's general will. I uh, pray in the mornings God's will for my life, and there are certain things in Scripture that says this is the will of God. It's God's will for me to, to be a servant, to present my body a living sacrifice. It's God's will for me to be a servant, a soul winner. In 2 Peter 3, verse number 9, he's not willing that any should perish. He's not willing. Well, if he's not willing, then I shouldn't be willing. What's the will of God? Tell people about Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to be a servant. I'm supposed to be a soul winner. I'm supposed to be sanctified. He says in 2 Thessalonians that this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What's sanctification? Luke 17, 17. Sanctify me through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So guess what? I'm supposed to be in the word of God. Why? It's the will of God. Amen. There's things that's God's will for my life. I'm supposed to be a servant. I'm supposed to be a soul winner. I'm supposed to be sanctified. I'm supposed to be satisfied. And everything give, give thanks for this is the All right, so there's things in the scripture that I know is the will of God for my life. You don't have to question those things. Can I just tell you something? You ought to be committed to the will of God. Amen. What is God's will for my life? Find out what God's general will and you will find God's specific will. I think a lot of people miss the specific will of God because they're simply not doing God's general will for their life. We should be committed to doing God's will. Hey Naboth, I'd like to have your piece of land. I'm sorry, it's not God's will. God forbid it. That God has already spelled out in Scripture that that's supposed to stay with my family, this particular piece of property. I can't give it to you. I can't sell it to you. Do you understand that in your life, if you're going to be committed, the first thing you should be committed to is the will of God. God, I'm yours. Whatever you want, that's what I want. Not only was he committed to doing the will of God, look at the next thing it says there in your Bible. Look at verse number, verse number three. And Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Not only was it God's will, he was committed to God's will, but he was committed to keeping his father's inheritance. And I think this goes even farther than the book of Numbers and also the rest of the Old Testament, some of the verses that talk about not transferring uh, from tribe to tribe a person's property and inheritance. But the word inheritance means something inherited, an heirloom, something that is a heritage or possession, something that's given to somebody. The, the proverb that goes along with that is Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight: remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. For the Redeemer is mighty, and he shall plead their cause with thee. We've got a lot of people moving the landmarks. And by the way, he says that also in chapter 22 and chapter number 23 of Proverbs. Remove not the ancient landmark, which thy fathers have set. 
I'm talking to the Heritage Baptist Church and there's a bunch of kids in here that have been raised in Christian homes that have had mother and father that have passed things on to them. Can I just tell you, you ought to decide, I'm committed. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep what I've inherited, what my, fathers and my, my father and mother has taught me. I'm not going to let go of those things. Amen. Your parents have taught you a good work ethic. Your parents have taught you a, a, a faith in Christ. Your, your parents have taught you standards of being separate from the world. You, you should not get to the place where you just leave all of that stuff. Well, I don't believe that stuff now. The things that your parents are passing on to you are not things that are anti-scriptural. These are things that the Bible teaches. You ought to hold on to those things. There's enough of young people that want to go out and they want to be a part of the world and say, well, I didn't believe those things anyway. Or, you know, I was brainwashed. That's the world telling you those things. You're not brainwashed. You're Bible washed. You ought to be committed. You ought to be committed to keeping your father's inheritance, the things that God has given you through your parents. You should let go of those things. And by the way, you have a heavenly father too that's given you some things. Amen. He's given you salvation. Amen. How many is glad you're saved this morning? Amen. The Lord could come back right now, and if you're saved, you're going to be with him forever. Amen. He not only gave you salvation, he gave you access to his throne. To think about that. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I can now enter the holy of holies, and I can be with God Almighty. I can talk to him. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because guess what? You inherited that because you're saved. Amen. There's some things you shouldn't let go of. Your prayer time ought to be special to you. You know why? Because your father gave it to you. We talk about the spirit-filled spirit life. And the day you got saved, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of you. And the problem is, is that either the flesh has control or the spirit had control. You got all the Holy Spirits you're going to get. But the problem is we don't allow the Holy Spirit to have all of us. You've inherited some things. You shouldn't let go of those things. The spirit-filled life, the prayerful life. All of these things given to us by God, we should be committed to them. We should I'm not letting these things go. Amen. Committed. To place in the hands of another, to trust another. Are you committed to the Lord this morning? The decisions of life that you make, do you make those yourself or do you acknowledge him in everything? Are your opinions about what you do in life, are they so saturated with, with your upbringing that you forget you've been adopted into God's family and you have a new upbringing? When we adopted Sharon, Sharon, we adopted her from a baby, brought her home. Sharon had never met her birth parents. And one of the stipulations was that when we adopted that child, that, Sharon, that the birth mother would not have any contact with Sharon until she was 18. And, and, and she kept it. All of those years, not one time did that birth mother call her or communicate with Sharon. Our, she's our oldest. And, uh, but when Sharon got close to graduating, Sharon got a hold of her. And when Sharon got a hold of her, um, her birth mother... I called the birth mother and I said, I just want to tell you something. You made an agreement 18, 17 years ago that you would not have contact with her until she got turned 18. I'm asking you to respect that. She did. Sharon graduated from school. She turned 18 in April, graduated from school in May, and the birth mother had already purchased an airplane ticket so that she could fly out. The very next day after graduation, she flew, she flew to Texas. Oh, it was a killer. Sharon got down there, though, and she wasn't down there very long, and she started calling. And Stacia, I don't know how long it took before we got our first phone call. Two days. You remember? Around two days after she'd been down there, Sharon called home and said, hey, Dad, I, I need to come home. This is not what I thought. I said, Sharon, I, I'm not doing that. You chose to go. You need to stay. 
How many days later after that? She kept sending texts and phone calls. After about two weeks, she said, Dad, I don't feel safe here. Obviously, she's our own. We love her very dearly. And so my wife and I got in a car and drove down to Texas and picked her up and brought her back. And on the way back, she began to tell us things that were going on that, there that she just didn't know about, things that she'd been sheltered from, drinking, music, all the things that go along with, if I can say to a degree, a lost home. You know what Sharon was kept from all that time, from the bloodline? She was kept away from all the sin that, go, that went with that bloodline. And she got put into a Christian home. Can, can I tell you that before you got saved, you were a child of the devil, and your bloodline is just a bloodline of sin. My bloodline, bloodline of sin. I'm a child of the devil. All of us are children of the devil before we get saved. That's what the Bible says. When you get saved, you, you're adopted into God's family, joint heirs with Christ, which means I'm a child of God, born again. But you know what our problem is? Even though we're adopted into God's family, we still have that pull from that old nature that's constantly, I wonder what that's really like. I wonder if, if that would be better than where I'm at. There's no doubt, there's probably some of you young people in here, you've never been born again. And the reason your, your pull is, is you still have that old sin nature, Satan, and, and that's, where, that's the direction you want to go as soon as you graduate from school because you've never been saved. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you don't have a pull of the flesh that wants to go back to that old bloodline. Your birthright is Satan. Your birthright is not Christ. You were born again into God's family and adopted into God's family. That's why you have a divine nature, but you also have a sin nature. There's that constant pull of going back and doing things I shouldn't do and things that grieve me and grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but I want to do those things. Can I just tell you, there ought to be some commitment to God. I'm committed to do God's will, but I'm also committed to what I've been taught and where I've been trained in the word of God. And I've got a mom and dad that sacrificed for this. Amen. You young people, listen to me this morning. Some of you have a mother and father that are first generation Christians and they have sacrificed more than you will ever know to be able to keep you in this kind of church and to keep you in, in, in Christian education, whether it's homeschool or Christian. God's, God's done some miracles in your life. And I want to tell you who's paid the price. It's your mother and father. They're the ones that, that, that have kept themselves from going back and being with family, to be at the family reunions where there's a bunch of cussing, cussing and smoking and drinking and ungodliness, and they've spared you from that. And they're the ones that sacrificed that relationship with their own family so that you could have a life, and they've broken those chains so that you could go forward. You ought to be appreciative of that. Amen. Committed. Committed to doing God's will. Committed to keeping the Father's inheritance, what we've been given to us. I'm not going to let these things go. I can't do it because it's politically correct. I can't do it because my job says not to. I can't do it because my friends don't like it. I'm going to keep what I've been given as a Christian, whether it's from an earthly parent that's saved or whether it's from my heavenly father. Look at something else. One last, one last thing I see as far as Naboth's commitment. Look at verse 25 and 26 of this chapter. Verse 25 says, but there was none, let me read verse 24, him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air, air eat. So we know it's talking about Ahab. Look at verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up, and he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now, I don't think I'm surmising too much here, but if, 
Ahab was such a bad king that the Bible would actually say there was none like unto Ahab because he was so wicked. I don't think there's any way for, Na for Naboth not to know that. There's no way for him not to know that here you have the king of the nation and he's serving false gods. There's no way for him not to know that his wife was named Hillary. I mean, Jezebel. There is no way they didn't know that, just like we know that. All I'm trying to say is this. He was committed to not helping the ungodly. When you think about his commitment, it was a commitment to do God's will. It was a commitment to keep his father's inheritance. But it was a commitment to not help the ungodly. He knew that Ahab was not right and he was not a good king. And Naboth said, I'm not helping you. I'm not giving you this vineyard. Yes, because God doesn't want me to. Yes, because my fathers gave it to me. But yes, because I'm not giving it to somebody who's serving false gods and you're doing wrong like no other king we've ever had before. I'm not helping you. You know, we as Christians, I think sometimes we forget that there, there's two natures here. There's, there's two family lines here. Second Corinthians chapter 6, we talked, alluded to this morning that, uh, that we're supposed to not be unequally yoked together. Light and darkness. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Just remember, we're not supposed to go to some mountain and seclude ourselves. We're supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But do you understand that we as Christians, we're not supposed to support the ungodly in their ungodliness. We're not supposed to, to laugh at their sin and take their crude jokes and act like it's not a big deal because of the way they're living. Do you understand a little leaveneth does what? Leavens the whole lump. The, much of Proverbs is over and over about, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In chapter 1 and verse number 15, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. He says, I don't want you near that. Would you turn over? I want you to read this with your eyes if you don't mind. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. I want you to see these verses real quick here. Proverbs chapter number 4. I was talking with a college about these verses the other day. Look down at verse 14, Proverbs 4, verse 14. The Bible says in verse number 14, Solomon is speaking. This whole chapter is talking about the instruction of a father. In verse 14, it says, enter not into the path of the what? The wicked in the book of Proverbs is always a lost person. And go not into the way of who? An evil man in the book of Proverbs is always a carnal Christian. So what does he say? Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away for they sleep not except they have done mischief in other words they can't get rest unless they're doing something wrong and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall they can't get rest unless they can get somebody else to do the same thing they're doing for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink in other words eating and drinking that's where you that's what we do to sustain our life their sustaining is by what they're doing wrong their wickedness they drink the wine of violence but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day the way of the wicked is as darkness they know not at what they stumble. In Psalm chapter 1, what did the psalmist say? One, chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you understand that God wants us not to walk that path? What path? The path of the wicked. He wants us to be careful that we separate from that. I hope you understand the message this morning is not for us to separate and not be a witness. It is to separate and not be a part of ungodliness. 
How many times have they invited you to their parties? How many times have they had a Christmas party or some event where it's not Christ honoring? A Christian shouldn't even be there. Well, I want to be there because I want to influence some of them. Church, I mean, God says, listen, you're not supposed to be a part of that. Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings. He was a good king of Judah, but Ahab was, a, was the bad king of Israel. And Ahab got Jehoshaphat to come down to him. It's because Jehoshaphat got to a place in his life where he was established. And so he goes to war with Ahab, and God wasn't happy with that. Ahab gets killed with that arrow that was shot as a venture. Jehoshaphat barely makes it out alive because he cried unto God. And when he gets home, guess what happens? The prophet shows up. In 2 Chronicles 19, verse number 2, And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, that's the prophet, went out to meet him, Jehoshaphat, and said to the king Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Church family, Jehoshaphat was a good king, and God was so mad at him because of helping Ahab. I'm just telling you that Naboth said, hey, listen, Ahab, I know what you are. I'm not doing this. Amen. I'm not helping you. There's just no way. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to help you. We as Christians are supposed to be loving. In fact, Galatians 6, verse number 10, as you have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That's saved and lost alike. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. But church family, you can do good to all men without helping ungodliness, yeah. wickedness. You don't have to be a part of the lost world's fun and activities which revolves around bad pictures and immorality or alcohol. I was reading about the 56 Signers Declaration of Independence and it reminded me so much of commitment and Naboth. Out of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence, five of them were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve of them had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolution Army. Another one had two, two of his sons captured. Nine of them fought and died from wounds and, or hardship of the war. One of them was named Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planner and trader. He saw his ships that he owned. He saw them sunk by the British. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwall had taken over Thomas Nelson's home. For his headquarters, Nelson quietly ordered George Washington to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields, his mills were all destroyed. For over a year, he lived in the forest and in caves. Returning home only to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. You know, when those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence signed there, we talked about they signed their lives. You know why? Because they were committed to our country. You ought to be committed to your country. It's called heaven. You ought to be committed to your king. It's called God. God, I, I want to do, do your will for my life. I'm committed to what you want for my life. And listen, I know as we as Christians, we sometimes we have those backsliding moments where we fa fail. But goodness gracious, every, we, ought, we ought to be able to see, hey, listen, I... I'm grieved what I'm doing and it's not right and I'm going backwards. God, I want your will done in my life. And we get in the book and we get in prayer and we get in church and all of a sudden we try to climb that, that ladder towards spirituality, toward the Lord better. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I want to be committed. Amen. Several of you fellows this morning are sitting here with your wives and several of you have your arm around your wife and you can tell my husband and wife, you guys love each other. I'm not sure if you do that to make sure she doesn't hit you or what, but get your arm around your wife. 
That was her kicking you. Right. <laughs> you know, we tease about this, but I want to tell you something. There's some fellows that think it's okay to have a wife and have a girlfriend. Think your wife's going to allow that? Why, why do we as Christians think that we can have God and still live for the world? Still appease our flesh with all these other things and then act like we're spiritual because we came to church. A double-minded man is what? I can't let the world, the flesh, and the devil turn me. I gotta be committed to the Lord. I wanna do what the Lord wants for my life. Do you wanna do what the Lord wants for your life? Do you love the Lord? Have you told the Lord that, listen, whatever you want, that's what I want? Have you acknowledged him in every path of your life so he can show you which direction you're supposed to go? You know, there's a lot of Christians that use the Lord as a 911. The only time you call on him is when you've got an emergency. He ought to be an everyday thing. As soon as I get up in the morning, before I go to bed at night, God, thank you for what you're doing for me. Thank you for, it, for all. Lord, help me to please you in my life. Please forgive me where I haven't. Be committed. Church family, Naboth died, by the way. You know the rest of the story. Jezebel writes a letter, stamps Ahab's name on it, sends it to the city that he's part of. They hold a big feast. Naboth comes in front of it. Two false witnesses come and sit in front of him. And all of a sudden they say, hey, this guy just blasphemed the king and God. What? Take him out and stone him. Naboth's dead. But I want to just tell you something. Naboth is recorded in the eternal pages of scripture as somebody who is committed. Amen. Can you imagine Naboth dying? And I know Old Testament, New Testament I believe that he was a believer in the sense of looking for the Messiah to come. Can you imagine him stepping into glory and there's God? And he looks at Naboth and said, hey, I, I know surmising. Naboth, thanks, you did a good job. You didn't sell the vineyard. You did what I wanted you to do. Amen. And then there's going to be others. When we get to heaven, the judgment seat of Christ, he won't say, well, done, not good and faithful servant. Because you know why? All that stuff you're working for is the wood, hay, and stubble. It all goes up in smoke. Amen. Live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning?